take your copy of the church covenant and we're going to look at the third paragraph tonight. Uh, if, if, there, if there is someone here without a copy of the church covenant, just raise your hand and we'll get you one real quick. Uh, okay. Um, Ethan, would you mind grabbing some there in front of the window, in the front of the office, straight across, right there. And you just keep your hands up and he will get that to you in just a second. Um, I'm, I'm going to read through the third paragraph and you listen along or follow along and uh, your copy will be coming momentarily. The third paragraph of our church covenant reads, We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion to religiously educate our children to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. That word's singular, by the way. There's not an S on that. That's deportment. To avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Here in the third lesson, the third paragraph of our church covenant, we are going to share the individual families of the church membership. Now, in the second paragraph, we looked at the church as a whole in unity and harmony together and all of our requirements and responsibilities that we have. And, and so now we consider the pledge we make with our personal lives, uh, our commitment as parents, our commitment as families. So we're first going to look at, at life in the home in the beginning of this paragraph. It says, we also engage to maintain family and secret devotion. Have you ever thought about the fact that the institution of the family is older than the institution of the church? And the church is made up of families. The church is the people. The church is the body. The church is the membership. We, we might say that, wow, that is a good church. Or we might say that we want our church to be the very best church it could possibly be. Or maybe after having a, a service like we had this morning, we, we leave thinking, wow, we have a, a really good church. We want a, to be a good church. A church is only going to be as good as the families that make it up. You know, when, when we gather for worship, we want to have a good worship service. We want to have a good church. And when we gather to worship on Sunday, our preparedness to do so comes from life in the home 
those six days before we meet. I always get hung up on, on the definition of worship that I, that I found in a, in, a, in a very solid study book, and, and that is worship is a way of life. And so we prepare by the life that we live to, to meet here and to worship on, on Sundays. There's worship at home. We, we don't have worship set up at home the way we do here. I doubt we have pews in the living room of our home or chairs like this set up. You know, we, we don't have things set up with instruments at home, I'm sure, and have a service like we do here. You know, when we hold a service here, we pray. We've already prayed. And we have praised the Lord. We've praised Him in song. And, and we give to the Lord. We we give thanks to the Lord when we meet. We share scripture when we meet uh, in God's house to worship Him as a church. And though we don't have that kind of setup at home, what we do at home is to be more of the same that goes on here. In another way, in, in, in another form, we're going to be praying to the Lord. We're going to be praising Him. We, we may sing praises to Him. We should be thankful. We should have a home that exudes thankfulness to the Lord. It is something that is to be more of the same that goes on here. We, we, we're to pray in our homes more than asking the blessing upon the meal. Gratitude to God ought to be seen in our homes and, and, and heard in, in expressions of thankfulness to Him. The Bible, the Bible's open in the Christian home and, and maybe sitting on the couch or sitting on the kitchen table and it's read. Uh, one man wrote an article about ten reasons why he doesn't use his uh, Bible app on his phone. And, and a couple of the reasons he gave was his kids thought he was at home and for playing Candy Crush for all he knew, for all they knew, you know, because he had his Bible app on his phone and he was reading his, his Bible on his phone at home, you know. And, and hey, I, I've been in situations where I haven't had a copy of the Word of God, God on me and I've been glad to have that Bible app, but... But he said he threw that phone app down, he threw the phone down, and he picked up the book because he wanted his family to see him with the Word of God in his hand and that he was reading and studying the Word of God at home just like we do in the church. He wanted his family to clearly see that what takes place at church, there's more of the same that continues at home. If there's not six days of family worship flowing in to church worship when we assemble, look, the children are going to get confused. They're going to have a hard time taking Sunday morning worship serious. And the family will have more of a practice of religion rather than the experience or a display of a personal daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we kind of we kind of 
like to make some blame and, and uh, you know, think of some blame on, maybe on the church for different things here and there. And, and if we think about it, and as we look at our preparedness and, and, our, and our agreement here that we maintain family and secret devotion, we're going to see a lot of times that it's not the church. It's going to be the shortcomings of life in the home for us. And, you know, our public life as families in the membership, you know, that is going to be a reflection of what our private devotion is like in our lives. We, we, uh, we agree to have family and secret devotion in the home. And, it, and it's going to reflect in our lives. The first three verses of the entire book of Psalms uh, speaks of the blessed. And it says the blessed, well it tells us that the blessed rejects the world's words and ways, but delights in the law of the Lord, is established by it, and the life shows fruit from it. We need devotion time in the Word of God throughout our, our daily week with our family. It might be individually by ourselves. We might not quote scripture or, or preach a sermon to our, to our family at home, but, but our life's going to be a sermon. And the Word of God is just going to come up in the Christian home. And it's going to be heard. And we're going to express and give thanks to God for it. We need the Word of God all of the time. In Joshua 1.8, it says... This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I just started the 119th Psalm at the villas, and, and as most of you know, that entire book is about the Word of God. Every verse, arguably for some, but every verse says something about the Word of God, whether it uses the word statutes or commandments or precept or word or testimonies. It says something about the Word of God all of the way through it, and, and what a what a blessed study that's going to be. I can tell from, from just the, the first lesson. We see that we need to be established by the Word of God. The Word of God is going to change our day. You may, you may study the Word of God at different times of the day, but, but there ought to be something in the morning. There ought to be something of it going on in the morning, and it, it changes our day. It's what we need in our life in the home, in our, in our agreement to maintain family and secret devotion. But we see that the parents are to take the lead. The, the father primarily first is to take the lead in the home and uh, with the children in the home. And, and so we go on in this paragraph and we see a phrase and it says to religiously educate our children. You know... Some, some parents think that 
sharing the Word of God with their kids is, is cr- to cram it down their throats. And, you know, that's, that's not the way it, it, it's to be. But there is a demand from the Lord that we share the Word of God with our children. Ephesians 6.4 tells parents to bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that involves sharing the Scriptures with our kids, but it includes more than that. It includes the parents being a godly example to their children, providing protection from, not from good, but from harm uh, in their children's lives and constantly giving correction in the lives of children. Look, that, that's just part of it. Uh, you know, I remember my upbringing. I, I, I thought about what we're looking at over the past week and meditated on it, and I thought about my upbringing. And, and I remember every bit as much correction as I do affection from my mother. But, you know, the more I think about it now, you know, that that correction was affection as well. She corrected me because she loved me. And, And I'm thankful for that and anything good that it put in my life today. And and the habit, the help and the habit that it put into my lives for anything good, I can be to my children. It... It's constant correction that is simply needed as children grow up. You know, we need not be scared to practice by faith the pattern that God has put in place for the parents to the children. There is no way to do anything better or dress up what God said a different way than what He has told us to do. We are to train up our children in the way that they should go. That's Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up and and, and I'll say that this way, dedication to a full-time job. You know, somebody would take this the wrong way, but, but someone had a child and someone else said, your life is over now. And they did not mean that in a negative way. But they were focused on the, the requirement and the responsibility for a, for a parent in the life of a child. When that baby is born and parents hold that child, what they are seeing before them is a nonstop, committed, full-time job for at least 18 years of raising that child or, or even longer. Dedicated commitment. Proverbs says, The rod and reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Parents in the membership have a great responsibility with the children in the home. But now we change gears and let's look at the mission outside of the home as we continue in the paragraph. We see that that what we have agreed upon is to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. 
I've asked for prayer for a family over the past year because I've preached four funerals for the same family. And the first three funerals, you know, when you preach a funeral, you, you can sometimes tell uh, when someone is not a Christian, when they're not in church, they, they fret and they don't like to hear about death and life and God being the creator of life and Jesus being the savior of life. And then, and then you have others and, and you hear an amen, you see a smile on their face, you can read a lot of people. There was one... There was one man, he stood out in one way, but in another way, I, I didn't know where he stood on the things of the Lord. What's going on? Uh, I didn't know where he stood on the things of the Lord. He was a tender-hearted man. He, he cried a lot at these funerals. Well, it was his funeral that was the fourth one in the family that I preached. And to meet with the family and then to hear the testimonies at the graveside. Most of the family is from the humble area here. This family member lived in Portland, Oregon. But the testimonies I heard about the three and four hour phone calls when he would call his family members here and they would have, he would have them on the phone all that time telling them and explaining to them salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. One person said at the graveside, he called me and, and he would have, I had to get off the phone after four hours. I had to cut him off. But he told me about his faith. And I just want to say today is what she said. I'm questioning what I believed more than ever because of what he believed and because he shared it with her. We are to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. We're responsible to evangelize to the saving of our entire house as well as to the rest of the world. You know, uh, we've made statements before that it sure is difficult to witness to family. We really need to be careful saying that no matter if there is some truth to it because we're, we're obligated. It's the most important thing in our loved one's life that we help them to be able to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart in spiritual salvation. Andrew was saved. And then he brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And Jesus saved Peter. We have a mission in the home with our immediate family, outside the home with our extended family, those acquaintances around us, as well as to all the world, really. Well, let's, let's move on to from our mission outside the home to our manner outside the church. We're going to take a look at this paragraph, uh, all biblical, Right from, the, right from the Bible, you can, you can uh, take all of it to Scripture, and we're going to see our manner outside the church of what we do and, and what we do not do. And so what we do that we agree on is to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, to be faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. First, we see that we're to walk circumspectly. 
That comes from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. And it speaks of a carefulness with our manner of life in this world. God has saved us and changed us and uses us to reach the world. And we're to be very careful with our manner of life and the way that we live our lives. If our manner of life is not Christ-like, we are not going to be effective with our God-given mission of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. If our manner of life is not Christ-like, we're probably not going to have a desire or do too much of sharing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you've probably heard the statement before, what we do is so loud that someone cannot hear what we're saying. You've also heard that we're the only Bible some people will ever read. And that is really true. And, and so we need to walk circumspectly, uh, careful in our manner of life in this world. Our lives are to display harmony with the Word of God. But we're not only to walk circumspectly, but there's something else that we're to do. We're to be just in our dealings. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. In the world, we need to be just in our dealings. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's, whether it's among the family, of course in the church, among our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be just in our dealings. Uh, a brother in Christ comes to mind and, and he works in a place with, with several other men. He has a toolbox. Everybody has their station in their toolbox. On top of my friend's toolbox is a Bible. And he takes his lunch right there at his toolbox and, and uh, eats and, and usually reads the Word of God. Sometimes his employees come over and ask him a Bible question and he's able to answer it and, you know, share with them and minister and and one fella was watching him, you know, you, you'll, you'll draw attention when you tell somebody you're different, you have something they don't, and you're going to heaven and they're not, they're going to be watching. And so in their setup, they had two time clocks in, in their area they worked in. And one of them was about seven minutes behind, and, and when you punched in there, it went to the, to the half hour backward. And the other one's about eight minutes ahead, and, and it would go to the half hour forward. And anyway, he would take his, his time card and he would punch out for lunch on one certain time clock and he would go get that, that time card and he would go punch back in on the other one. And he was taking an hour and 15 minute lunch, but he was only getting, getting docked for his hour. It looked like he only took his hour lunch, but he was taking an extra 15 minutes every day. And this fellow he had shared the word of God with called him out on it and unfortunately he didn't respond too well initially but he went home and he was so very convicted that that here he had been sharing Christ with this man and this man is pointing out that he has been stealing time from his job 
and he was broken and convicted and humbled inside over his wrong and he went back to work the next day and he apologized to the man and he said, I want to assure you that you will never see me do that again. We're to be just in our dealings in big ways and in every way. In, 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 in the smallest thing that we've been given, we need to be responsible with it. And we need to be just in our dealings. And all of our contributions as a citizen uh, in the church, in the workplace, with the boss, everywhere, just in our dealings. We are to do all we do with the greatest integrity in every setting. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him the need of just in our dealings. You know, many people just really tape up things and gloss things over in their lives with, with lies rather than being truthful. It's, it's just so easy to throw that lie out, at there, out there and, hey, it, everything's washed their hands of and it's all over. But we're called to be truthful. You know, being truthful is, is a good definition for just in our dealings. We're to be faithful in our engagements. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And in all that we do, whatever we do, we need to be faithful in it. And exemplary in our deportment. Paul said some things to Timothy and Titus that would tell us what it means to be exemplary in our deportment. Paul tells Timothy, Be thou an example of the believers. Paul told Titus to be showing thyself a pattern of good works. Paul told Thessalonica of himself that he had, had made himself an example for them to pattern themselves after and to follow. We're to live our lives in such a way that it provides a good pattern for our children, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for those in the workplace to follow from our lives. We're to conduct ourselves as a model to our families of what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to have control in our lives, among our brothers and sisters in Christ, on the job, everywhere. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the fruit of the Spirit is also temperance. Let us be encouraged that everything we're talking about and everything we're called to be, God empowers us 
to be able to live for Him in that way. He, he never gives us something to do or a way to do it that He doesn't bless us and empower us with the ability to be able to do it. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit in our lives will make us a model for Christ when we're following Him and we can live by the fruit of the Spirit which is temperance. By this pledge, we're committing and we're encouraged that we can grow up instead of blow up. Our manner is not only about what we do though, our manner is also about what we don't do. It's, the paragraph goes on to say, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger. Years ago when I was young and silly and not even a Christian, bad example, I, I remember going to the movies and, and there was a preview for the, you know, another movie hadn't started. It was a preview of another movie, so I kind of thought that was still free time to talk. But a man turned around and said, I'm going to go tell on you if you don't be quiet. And it just came out of my mouth. I said, tattletale. That... This idea of tattling and this word tattler we find in the Bible, it's, it's so much more than, than, than telling on someone, okay? If, and if we're not careful, we will spend our lives in nothingness. Vain things drain us of our time. There are things... In the life, there are things at home, there are things in church, there are things that, as we live our lives that are going to happen. And sometimes they're unfortunate, and we wish they didn't happen, and we wish they wouldn't happen. But things happen, and we have to deal with those things and take care of them. And it's bad that things happen, but there's something that is worse. And that is to talk about it. We're getting to what this tattling is all about. You know, I remember hearing that in a sermon one time. It's one thing when you have an issue and you're dealing with it and that's bad. It's worse to go around talking about it. And I'd never thought about it before and I heard that. And, and, and so I remember the thought going through my mind. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess I can agree with that. Didn't give it much thought. But I tell you what, the truth is really seen in in that it is bad when things happen it's worse to talk about it the silly babbling that follows an unfortunate event is continuing that event and it is making it worse first timothy chapter 5 and verse 13 says and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. That, that's the tattling. The idle time, the idle words, the unnecessary words from, from emotions, opinions things that do not add to help, they only hurt. I had to absorb that over years. 
to, to realize the truth of that statement. It's bad when things happen. It's worse when we talk about it. Jesus says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Man, talk about remembering something. I remember the first time I ever read that and thought about the unnecessary words I've said. I've thought about the unhelpful words I've said. I've thought about just the, the filling of space with vain words that, that amounted to nothingness and giving an account for those things before the Lord who hears Every word, whether it's in church, whether it's within the four walls of our home, wherever it is, the idle words that we will give an account to. The Lord knows what makes things worse. And, and we have a wise command from Him, a wise understanding that we'll give an account for every idle word. You know, the wiser we get the fewer words we'll use. Tattling is foolish. It's vain trifling. It's opinionated talk. And, and that alone will, will tear up a family. That alone will, will, will ruin things on the job. That alone will tear up a church. An event won't tear up the family. An event might not tear up the job or the church. But... But the ongoing worse thing than that, by the talk about it, will do that. And we're not to do, in our covenant, we agree in our covenant to not do that, to not be a tattler. And also, something else we're not to do is backbiting. We've gone from bad to worse to, to even worse. Because we have the things that happen that are bad. We go, we go around declaring it and, and as a tattler, and that's worse. But backbiting is worse than that. You know, it's one thing to down-talk someone or, or something else um, in tattling, but backbiting is simply to set out to destroy someone's reputation and defame their character. And, and, you know, people in this world are eager to do that. I've told you about the job I was on and, and everybody's great friends until it's promotion time for those one few positions that come open once every ten years. And then, man, does the backbiting come out among ten years of friendship to try to get that position. You know, and it, it can happen in so many other settings, too, that backbiting would go on. The Bible warns us in the church of backbiting to defame someone's character. We enter into a binding agreement not to backbite with the tongue. You know, the flesh and the sin nature, that, that temptation is there. People will even do that on assumptions. When something's not even real about someone, but someone thinks they can put this and that together, and well, so-and-so hangs around so-and-so a lot, so they probably heard them say that, so I'm going to do everything I can based on this assumption to tear this person down. And it's not even true 
about the person. Backbiting, it is an ugly thing that is done with the tongue. And we agree not to do that. It's scriptural not to do that. That comes from scripture. Peter says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. You know, there, there's some strength in silence. There really is. It's real easy to say things sometimes, but, and, and a lot of times words are going to hurt a, a church or, or whatever organization, and silence is really strong. In, in, in weakness, we can easily say a multitude of words, but to be strong and to be silent for the sake of the well-being of whatever else it is that's going on. I'll never forget a word of commentary from, from a verse in Proverbs on that. And, and that word of commentary was, The fire goes out for lack of fuel. And we see that. When we don't fuel the fire, that fire may be burning somewhere else, but, it, but it's not going to be putting any heat on us. The strength that there is in silence. If we're not to be tattling and we're not to be backbiting, then, then silence is going to be the answer many times. It's a powerful thing silence is. There's another thing we don't do, and it, and it speaks of excessive anger. We agree to avoid excessive anger. Real, something really helpful, I think, for anyone. I believe it would be a good policy for everyone. If something makes you upset, wait 24 hours before you respond, if you have to respond. Don't respond at all if you don't have to, and, it, and it'll just go away. But wait 24 hours. That is a golden policy, and it'll help to avoid excessive anger. There's an agreement that we grow spiritually, and that we avoid this anger. The danger we avoid when we grow up and our anger no longer controls us. Man, there is, there's a sermon just for anger that, that if we had the time, we would go into. It is such a dangerous thing, and it will just overcome us and take us completely over. But when we grow up, matured in the Lord, we can be encouraged that we get to a place where our anger does not have to control us. It's a dangerous sin. Paul tells the church at Colossae, put it off. Put off this anger. Paul tells Ephesus, put it away. Paul tells uh, I mean, James says that wrath worketh not the righteousness of God. I've been guilty of saying, well, I have a holy anger. And you know, the Lord has that. But I, don't, I just don't know if we can get away with that. I quit saying it anyway. And praise the Lord. And the help the Lord gives me helps me that that, that doesn't happen. 
nearly as often as he used to. That's, that's no, that says nothing of, of myself or anyone who's able to control it, but what God does in us, with us, and through us. Something else we can agree uh, not to do that we do agree and is, is in our covenant has to do with the sale and use of alcohol as we change gears here. It says to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage. We, we agree that this is no good and that we're to abstain from it. Clearly stay away from it. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 was, was a mirror looking back at me and showing my past life before I was saved because that verse says that it mocks us. It'll, it'll, it'll sure make fun of us. It'll make a mockery out of us. It'll cause raging. I mean senseless raging. And it's a deceiver. God warns us about this in His Word. Not only in Proverbs 20 and verse 1 there, but also in Proverbs 23 and starting in verse 29, we have many warnings of things that alcohol causes. It, I won't read the verses, but I'll just make a list of some of these things. It causes woe. It causes sorrow. It causes contentions. It causes babblings, wounds, redness of the eyes. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and and stingeth like an adder. It causes the eyes to lust, the heart to utter perverse things. So we agree to abstain from intoxicating drink and in our binding agreement together in, in membership in the church. And, and so as we've been closing with this last portion here and sharing uh, our manner as in what we do and what we don't do, praise God that, you know, you know God's Word, God, uh, it, is, it is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Word of God teaches us and it teaches us what we've done wrong, but not only that, it teaches us how to fix it and also how to maintain it. So we see the things that, that we, we are to do, those things we're not to do, and then what we will ultimately desire as children of God, as we close the paragraph, it says to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Our zeal as Christians, it's not for this world. It's not for the things of this world, but a zeal for the kingdom of our Savior. A zeal that the Lord Himself has. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of our Lord. 
We have been given a zeal. We are not just delivered from our sins. We have new desires as children of God. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, those old things, those old things will hurt the church. Those old things of the flesh, it, it will do no good for the church. You know, Paul, Paul told Corinth that, that he had to speak unto them as unto carnal and not spiritual. They were saved, but they were acting carnal. And the church was, was divided. They, they, they had sin and grace all messed up. They, they refused to continue with an offering that they were to take up. They got the important things off track. And... And they were being carnal. The church suffered for it. The old things will hurt the church. But the new things advance the kingdom of our Savior. We are a new creature in Jesus Christ when we have trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. And those new things that we go about the business of are for the advancement of His kingdom. And that's why we are here upon this earth. May we meditate on our manner of life tonight and the effect that it has on the church. Let, let us reflect tonight, not, not on others, not on anyone else, but upon our own residence. We, we, are, we are talking about the individual families of the church membership. We talked about each other as a whole last week in harmony, but now it's our individual agreement as families of the church and the things that we will, will do, the things we will not be a part of, and we see our ultimate desire. Let us reflect not on anyone else, but our own residence within the, our own four walls of our home and every spiritual responsibility we have in our home from God's Word, from this covenant that we are entered into together, that we might carry our responsibilities out greater than ever before, that, that we would determine within our families that we are going to make the greatest contribution to the good for God's church, suffering sacrificially ourselves in order to do so that we possibly can. I think of the church of Stephanus. They addicted themselves to the ministry. They determined that they were going to serve the church. That, that was Corinth, and there were so many things going on in Corinth. But guess what? This one family, they were addicted to the ministry during, during all that mess and all those problems. What, a, what a, a great individual family resolve that they made uh, as far as what they were going to contribute to the Lord's church. We're, we're about to leave this place in a few minutes and we're going to go home and let us look at it this way. For six 24-hour periods to prepare ourselves to come back and gather together and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in His church 
next Sunday. And, and with that, um, we're going to close a little different tonight. If there's anyone here tonight and, and you've never been part of a church because you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and been saved and baptized, we, we pray that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that you would understand that you can receive Him tonight for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Your sins washed away. Know you have a home in heaven and, and you can come before the church to, to become a, a member of the church and we'll help you with the Bible any way we can. To, to help you to know salvation in Jesus Christ. But, but at this time, and, and don't leave before you get that settled, but I'm going to ask uh, every camper, counselors and others can come up if they want, but at least every camper that's here tonight, would you come up to the front and just line up across here? We, this isn't the first year we've done this, but we're going to, to close in prayer, and, and I, I'm so... I'm so joyful over the children of our church, how, how invested they are in the church, how excited they are about the church. And this is not near all of us tonight, but um, so thankful for them all. I'm, I'm picturing lots of laughs this week, lots of good time of fellowship, and, and most importantly, the Lord seeking out any young souls who do not know Jesus. And, and so with, with y'all fine young people standing before us, we're, we're going to uh, close in a word of prayer.